So, um, Lord, I just release right now the word that you've given into Jenny. Father, we thank you that we might have listening ears and uh, willing hearts to obey, Father, what you're releasing. Give us understanding, Father, and wisdom, uh, Father, as she speaks today, that we might have the application of, Father, what we're hearing, that it might enable us to live more effective for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. We're going to release the children. So, children, if you want to go with Jane and team and enjoy about a half an hour together. Okay, 35 minutes. 40. Any advance on 40? I see that hand. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to be back together today. Um, it's, this is a little bit out of the box. This isn't a kind of my usual preach uh, because I've done a little bit of um, digging as in archaeology. It's archaeology, history and land. Sort of. Yeah, so, so things about the land. But this is a scripture I just want us to read together. It's part of Psalm 18. Let's say it out loud. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is very much owning who he is and making him and what he has provided a part of us. Amen? Right. It's En Gedi or En Gedi, En Gedi. It's an oasis in the wilderness, but this place is very significant. And that clip that you, then that song that we just um, listened to, they've done a, which I'm going to share a little, probably 10 minutes of, the making of that video of why it's so significant in that particular song. And it's just been released. It's brand, brand new. So this is a, a picture of it as it is now. And this is a picture of it as it is now. This is a very fertile place. It has flowing from it springs. Four natural springs flood this part of the wilderness and the desert. Uh, that's one of the several waterfalls there cascading from the cliff. Oh, that's gone off, hasn't it? You can swim there. I don't know why this is, it keeps knocking off, Steve. I don't know why. Um, in that place, you have these kind of mountain goats and they're scriptural. There's Psalm 104. And you can also see there the rock badgers. People not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. There are actually two of them in that picture. Uh, but also in this place, the Jewish people live in community. And this is the kibbutz in En Gedi. It continues in the agricultural traditions. It grows dates, mangoes, herbs, and has an award-winning botanical garden. Also has bottle, bottles of the natural spring water to sell. And in the kibbutz, which I hope we do get to see, there's also a wonderful swimming pool area. Anyway, the thing about this, this place, it's an oasis in the wilderness uh, someone said, if today's En Gadai is not the biblical site, there would have to be another spot exactly like it. It's, co- it's called En Gedi, a fresh green spot teeming with life on the western shore of the Dead Sea. Um, the other thing to note, there's evidence of a human settlement, and it dates back over 5,000 years, and it's referred to 
in Joshua 15, verse 62. We're not going to go there just now, but I will mention that again in a minute. Plenty of sunshine, continual fresh water supply. It's mentioned as well in the Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 14. It became famous for its produce, particularly... Now, you know, if you know me well enough, you know I like fine perfume. Don't, don't get me super drug zone. Get me the finest, the Coco Chanel. Hint, hint, okay? Mademoiselle, if you're going for it. Um, and uh, it became famous, in particular, for its sweet dates and the balsam for making fine perfumes and ointments. Part of an inscription on the ancient synagogue is a warning to whoever reveals the secret of the town. And it's, they, they reckon that the secret was the secret of making perfume from the per Simon, uh, uh, I presume, plant. It was pr- prosperous in the Hellenistic and Roman period and its wealth was based on this. This is a very important place. I thought it was very interesting today that we had two of our men in the fellowship bring forth prophetic singing today. Both Ian and David came and released a sound in singing. I was blessed immeasurably by both of them. I mean, Ian's prepared his, but it's still come out of a place of intimacy with the Lord. And uh, whether you bring it as... You know, this is something I've prepared beforehand, or whether it comes in the moment, we are richly blessed in this house in our understanding and our movement in the sound that comes forth. I say that along with this because Engedi was the place that was given to the tribe of Judah. So bear that in mind when I tell you what I'm going to tell you, because the very area and ground was given as a place of sanctuary and worship to Judah. It's, it's got something in the land because... I'm so excited. Along, uh, among its biblical mentions, Chedorlaomer, the king who defeated Sodom and captured Abraham's nephew Lot, pre- previously defeated the Amorite settlement there, and you can read about that in Genesis 14. But also... Oh, no, look... There's some words there, and they're not there. No, it's not, it's not even on the screen. It's, it's, it's blank. Oh, there we go. It was allotted as territory for the tribe of Judah, David's tribe. And this particular place was the place that, de- that the Lord had provided for David to be hidden when his enemies were pursuing him. This was the cave area that he hid in from Saul. And if you know anything of the story, which we're going to look at briefly, is is this, that Saul was pursuing David out of jealousy. David hadn't done anything wrong against Saul. In fact, David had been the one that had brought the instrument and played and the the spirit had been relieved off Saul. He was married into his family and Saul became jealous of David's anointing and started to pursue him. And God provided a stronghold. And this is a vast area. And 
I know it says in the scripture that he hid in a cave, but it's not like going up to Dovedale and trying to find a little cave. We are talking about a whole landmass where Saul would have come into that area and David was there and could have taken his head off. There's one account of, of Saul going into the cave, into the area to relieve himself, to do what you need to do, and he came so close that David cut off a piece of his garment and said, look how close you've been to me. And I haven't lifted my hand against God's anointed. This is a, such a significant place for us. I didn't realize that when we go there this time, we go into Jerusalem to release a sound out of our war room into the land from Jerusalem. And I felt the Lord say to me over the last 24 hours, when you go to Engedi, you have to make a sound that transacts with the land. Because I think we're going to bring something back from the very stronghold, the place of sanctuary, the place of safety, the place where he watered him and fed him. These animals weren't there just because it's a good idea to put these mountain goats there. You could feed an army on that that was there. The, the four natural springs coming into there would have refreshed an army. God knows what he's doing when he's taking us into battle, when he's taking us into a hard place, and he's providing a stronghold. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, my deliverer, my stronghold. Say stronghold. We talk a lot about strongholds in this. Strongholds are coming down. Strongholds, we're not going to have strongholds. We're going we're gonna to come against the strongholds. We better know the difference between the strongholds that we're coming against and the stronghold that he's provided for us. Because in these dark days that we are in and coming into, we need to know each one of us that God has provided an Engedi for each of us. Where we can run and be watered and be fed and be provided for and be protected. So, I don't know how this is going to work, but we'll try it anyway. You've lost that now. So, David, um, Engedi is there by the Dead Sea. That's where it is in relating to the, all the other areas. And you can see that Moab is on the other side. And this is how it, this is how it went, just very quickly. Um, David flees from Saul, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel, from 1 Samuel chapter 21 right through to 24. I'm going to give you just a very quick potted kind of background. David is, David honors Saul. He's, he's in Saul's household. Saul gets jealous, and Saul will stop at nothing to take David out. So he starts to pursue him. So David flees from Saul, and the first place he goes to um, is the tabernacle or the priest's house at Nob. And you can see that at the top right hand corner. And this is about two miles from his, his hideout where he'd been with Samuel. So he goes there. And this, since Joshua, I'm going to read this um, bit of, of an account here. Since Joshua and for, th for about 300 years, Shiloh had been the location of the tabernacle. That's where Samuel had been raised under Eli, and then the ark was lost, Eli's sons were killed, Shiloh was abandoned and destroyed. The tabernacle, the center of worship, moved then to this place. 
So David goes to where the tabernacle was residing. Even though there wasn't the presence, as we know the presence, he went to where he knew he could find some shelter and some safety. Make a note of that because he looked for where the presence was going to be. And while he was there... um, they used, the high priest was, was there, the high priest's ephod was there and all that. The high priest was aware of, of Saul's attempt to capture David nearby. So the high priest is afraid when he sees David. And so David has to move on, basically. So he goes from there, he's given holy bread, he's given food to eat and that. And then um, he moves, oh, and, and at that place as well, he asks for some weapons and the high priest says, the only one we've got here is Saul's, uh, is Goliath's sword. And so he gives him Goliath's sword to take with him on his journey. Remember that. I'm going to make a note of, of that in a minute. So he then moves. It says, now one of Saul's servants was there, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. He was perhaps there because of some punishment. We don't know. But we know that because David has been found out, he has to move on. So he doesn't linger long there. And he moves then to Gath, to a a place called Gath. And he goes before, I want to say Achis. Is that how you say it? It's A-C-H-I-S-H. I think the way that you say it is Achis or something like that, the king of Gath. And he grants him asylum. It wasn't uncommon for a fugitive to seek refuge with his pursuer's enemy. So what David does is he knows that this this place in Gath, they are are also against Saul and there's all this conflict going on. And he goes and he tries to hide out with them, which is okay for a while until they realize, hang on a minute, somebody gets wind of the fact this is the guy that killed Goliath and he's amongst us now. So now, can you imagine what's going on in David's life? It's like everywhere he goes to seek some kind of solace or refuge, he's okay for a moment and then it all gets stirred up again. Can we relate to this? It's like, I can't seem to find any place. I haven't found my tribe yet or I'm trying to still find some peace in this situation. So what David does there, he feigns insanity. So he, he, because he doesn't want to get found out. He pretended to be insane in their presence and he acted like a madman. And this worked because the king concludes that he must be insane rather than a threat. And he says, am I so short of madman that you have to bring him here to carry on like this? Must this man come into my house? That's in chapter 21, verse 15. So he's happy to be rid of David and and David's happy to escape with his life because if if it had continued as he was, he had the opportunity of actually being killed there. So he goes from there to the cave of Adullam. Now, I don't know whether you know what he does at the cave of Adullam. He actually begins to draw together the discontented, the disenchanted, and those that are full of debt. All the D's. Desperate. All the, they, they just start. But family members come too, and he gathers 400 men at the cave of Adullam. 
By now, Saul is beginning to threaten anyone related to David, including his family. He, he, Saul becomes crazy with rage, and they all fear for their lives. Now, he's got this whole group of 400 people, and it's not just him and his life. He's got the responsibility now of 400 people who, who, who stand to be killed. There are lessons to be learned here for everybody that's joining a ministry that's on the edge. This is the bit that's coming with a warning. You know, we, we say often, don't we, you're either in or out. Make your choice. For reasons like this, it was no different in David's day. David said, I'm going to go for this. Who's with me? And they're all banking on his faith at that point, but he makes them into mighty men. There's a whole chapter of David's 30 and David's 3 and David's mighty men that begin to wage a warfare like none other. Come on, folks. When God's going to bring us into a stronghold and he's going to feed us and he's going to water us and he's going to train us and he's going to equip us and he's going to teach us, even this morning through David and through Ian, we were being edified and trained and equipped. I said to David, can you imagine doing that in any other church? He went, "Mm, no. We have to realize that God is providing for us a place to be equipped And that's not just because of us, it's all of us. So David begins to attract others whom Saul is pursuing. Those who owe money being hounded for repayment, rebels who want to overthrow Saul, and probably a few bandits who are wanted for various crimes. Uh, Anybody fit the bill? (laughs) We are all a motley crew. And it wasn't an easy thing to keep moving from place to place because you think, oh, no, they're, gonna, they're coming in a few days. We better move out of here. Everybody, we're going now from the cave of Adullam now. We're going to go over to Moab. And they're moving all the time. This, this one just shows you the five cities of the Philistine Confederation because you're not just up against one little... Oh, Jesus. We're not up against one individual... The enemy has a strategy, and in his kingdom, he is well able to get his merry men to band together. The Philistines are a depiction of the spiritual forces that begin to agree together, and he was up against the five cities of the Philistine Confederation. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got to look beyond the people on the ground. We've got to look at the heavens and say, what is happening over our territory, over our region, over our nation, where the enemies of our God begin to, to, to come together to form a greater army? And there were, in Saul's army, at this point, there were 3,000. David got his 400 at the cave of Adullam and managed a few more along the way, and he had 600. No match, we would say, except one plus God is a majority every time. And the thing that David had, which was the advantage over Saul, was he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who loved worship. He was a man who went after the presence. He was a man who wanted God at all costs, no matter his failure, no matter his situation. David was a man who kept his sights on God and kept humbling himself before the Lord, and the Lord was with him. Wasn't with Saul. So you can have your 300, 3,000. You can have your large gathering. You can have your confederation 
of different uh, uh, principalities, but with God, all things are possible. So, David flees from Saul. David visits the tabernacle. David is given the bread, the sword of Goliath. David feigns insanity, and David gathers the 400 men. What lessons can we learn from this? Number one, provision. God always will provide. If you have a need right now, and don't just automatically think, I'd like another note in my checkbook, if we're still using checkbooks, what provision do we need spiritually? What do we need relationally? What do we need emotionally? What provision do we need? Because God wants to get that provision to you. Ask, he says, ask. Come to me and ask and I will give. What do you need? Are we asking him for the things we need right now in our, where we are in our warfare against the principalities and powers? Are we up against it and not asking for the provision? Engedi was a rich, fertile ground and David found it as he pursued the Lord. So, provision. Secondly, God's fashioning. In the difficulties, every one of us will could, could hold our hands up and say, I, can, I know a place of failure in my life. And if, you, if you've never felt a place of failure, get ready, because you will. We're, every single one of us, I wrestle with that all the time. And I think, you know, if you think too highly of yourself, and I'm okay, Jack, and I'm... No, 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 God will soon humble you. We have a need. Every one of us has a need for, for God to come through for us. And God is fashioning us in us. Don't judge too soon that God has forgotten you. He is molding you into a finely crafted instrument so that he can use you. Amen? Thirdly, leaders. Leaders tend to attract followers when they are struggling as well as when they're on top. Don't just look for leaders that look successful Look for leaders who are passionate about the things of God. I would rather be in a fellowship with 10 hungry, devoted, passionate people that love God and no matter what the cost, where we go in, than a thousand that are nominal, that can't be bothered Monday to Saturday, that don't know what it is to hear the voice of the Lord every single day and are in pursuit of that. What about that that song that we're singing at the moment? A hundred million creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you say. I want to be one of those, that I'm catching his breath and the breath in God that he's releasing through the prophetic is causing me to evolve into what I need to be. Do you understand when sound is released from here, we can catch that breath, breathe it in, and it transforms us. Yes? I've sat in too many meetings where it's going through the motions and nothing is transacting in the spirit or in the heart of man. So look for a person that people are following and you'll find a leader. Fourthly, learning. Times of struggle are often when we learn the most and do the best. Don't discount the difficulties you're facing in the wilderness as wasted time. David spent an awful lot of time in hiding, but it wasn't wasted time. It was times of learning. Lord, teach us how to do battle. 
in those times, he inquired of the Lord a lot. It says in, through these chapters, David inquired. David inquired. What, what are you asking him? What are you questioning God on? We should all have a thread at the moment that we're asking the Lord about. It was going to be a 50 different, different subjects. Because we don't all know it, do we? We don't all know everything. We shouldn't just be saying, Lord, I want an answer to this. Oh, thank you very much. Now I've got that answer. There should be something that is causing us to keep in pursuit, to keep pressing on him for. What are you asking of him? What, is, what are you asking him to show you about life, about the territory, about the kingdom? And it's not the why all the time. Why is this happening? Why me? Why? Why? I'd just like to know why. Teach me your ways. Teach me your thoughts. I want to know you. I want to be able to recognize you when that great and final day comes. I don't want to be one of those that go, oh, did somebody say Jesus had arrived? It didn't look like Jesus to me. No, because that was a Jesus of your own making. You hadn't spent any time getting your oil in your lamp so that you could recognize him when he came. Don't you like that song where he says he's coming as a man of war? I want to, I want to show you the clip where they discuss why they put that in. It's an amazing, uh, amazing song. And the fifth thing is guidance, the ability to seek God, as I've just said, in the company of a prophet. Of course, in the, in the, in the tabernacle, they had the Urim and Thummim. They did it a different way, but today we have the prophetic. If you're a Christian and you possess the Holy Spirit of God, you could be connected to the very mind of God 24-7. That was about a quarter of us. What an amazing privilege to be born again, spirit-filled, and to, to say, I can hear the Lord constantly. I wonder whether when you move through your day and through your evening and into different uh, arenas, whether you're saying, Lord, what are you saying now? What are you saying in Sainsbury's? What are you saying in this prayer meeting? What are you saying in that place? What are you saying as I'm having coffee with this person? What are you downloading? He's not a God in a box, is he? He's, all the time we can ask him those questions. And um, as we move into some more prophetic training in the next few weeks, we've got some activations that you can do at home where you can ask questions of the Lord and document what he's saying to you. Would that be helpful? We're going to make sure that we get those to you. And the sixth thing is betrayal. Even people you have helped may well betray you. As the residents of Kilia and Zip did betray David, you'll meet disappointment, but don't despair. You have an unshakable rock, the Lord God, and he will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13, verse 5. And the last thing is praise, and this is why it's a significant place. We are to praise God in all circumstances, David did this, and a lot of the Psalms that David, actually, there's a whole list of about 20, uh, 12 Psalms, and David uses and refers back to Samuel, 1 Samuel 24, 25, right through, all these, these chapters where he's in the caves, where he's on the run, you can read through Psalms, and we never ever put those together. We, don't, we think, oh, well, David just sat around writing songs like Ian does. Some of what Ian sang this morning was out of his walk and his place with the Lord. 
The Lord doesn't just go, oh, it's, it's you, Ian. I think I'll give you all these songs now. Oh, I've suddenly got a load of songs to sing on Sunday. He's cultivated that over years. I've known Ian and Connie years. Years. Of hiding himself away and cultivating that still small voice to know him. I'm looking at the face of Jesus. And he describes what he sees. And then I see it. Did you see it? When he said it, I began to see it. That's a gift. He drew us into his experience of seeing him. David cultivated. He didn't go, now I've done my time in the fields with the sheep. I know it all now. I can go into the cave now and we can get this sorted out. Let's have a seminar. He didn't do that. It was a journey and a progression of all of his experience. And then as he's beginning to write the Psalms, it all comes through. It's all through. So David did three things at at En Gedi that are worth learning from when we feel that we've been treated unjustly. And I'm going to finish with these and then I'm going to pray. This is really a picture of God being our rock and our fortress. The first thing he did was he fled from a bad situation. Now, Sometimes it's right to stay, in a situa- to, to stay in a situation and sort it there and then. But there are times when you know that something doesn't feel right, sound right, and it's time to just check out. And David fled in the right way. Amen? So this might be a word for somebody. Um, I feel like I've just done that recently. I feel like there was a moment where I could have been captured in a way and I've just gone, I can't do that. Now, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a weakness. It's a being aware of the, what's going on around you. Second thing, David trusted God to protect and to provide for him. And we have to press in and say, Lord, no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to find that place, that rock, that stronghold that you've made for me. And the third thing he did was he trusted God to administer the justice, didn't he? Just like Jesus, Jesus did the same. He escaped from the hands of his captors and he trusted God to bring the justice. That's why the Bible can save Jesus. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and set on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, Philippians 2. So Jesus trusted to make things right, God to make things right in the end, and we need to do the same. Because we know the end from the beginning, we know that he, he uses all things to work together for our good, even when they're difficult. Amen. <laughs>